Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a privilege to be standing here as your Archbishop. Uh, and I thank you for your prayers for, for me and for Allison as, as we've begun this journey the Lord has called us to be upon. Uh, it's a real pre- privilege to be standing here. Uh, this place that has been such a light and such a, a magnificent symbol and, and, and your stand for the gospel is known throughout the province. To be able to stand here amidst you who have led the way in so many ways through the province. I want you to know that your stand for the truth of the scripture and your stand for Jesus Christ is making a difference, not just in Canada, but in the United States and around the world. Uh, People know about what you've done all over the world, and I just want to say thank you for your example. It's also a privilege to be standing here in your pulpit, the man who can really preach the word and teach the word. It, thank you for opening up your, your, your pulpit for me this day. Let's pray. Uh, Father, as we open your word, I ask that you would send forth your Holy Spirit. Come and teach us. Help us to hear from you this day what you want us to hear. And then empower us to apply it in our lives. Help us not leave here the same. And this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text this morning from John chapter 10 is a very important passage in understanding who Jesus is and our response to him. And actually it contains one of the first Bible verses I ever memorized when I came to Christ 44 years ago. The pastor said, memorize John 10.30. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. So that's been with me all these years. This passage answers two questions. occurs in two places and has at least two applications. And that's going to be our outline this morning. Answering two questions, it occurs in two places and at least two applications for our lives. So if you have your Bible, please open with me to John chapter 10, verse 22. And let's look at this passage we just heard read a few minutes ago. John chapter 10, verse 22. Let's first look at the two questions that this passage answers. The first question is, who is the Messiah? Who is the Messiah? Verse 24. For the Jews gathered around him. By the way, when it says the Jews here, it's speaking of the Jewish leaders and their staff members. Um, Remember, Jesus was Jewish and all the first followers of Jesus were Jewish. So, So that's who it's talking about. So the Jews gathered around him and they said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Are you him? Tell us. Are you the one we've been waiting for? Tell us. He continues. Jesus answered him, I have told you, and you do not believe. I told you guys, but you won't believe it. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. He's saying here, I've told you. And I've demonstrated by the works that I do. And by the way, the works that I've done in my Father's name, they bear witness to me that I am the Messiah. And the Apostle John, who wrote this account of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, is careful to point out some of the key works which Jesus has done. 
you may remember in John chapter 2, he turns water into wine at a wedding in Cana. In chapter 4, Jesus is in Cana again, and an official from Capernaum comes and says that his son is sick and is dying, close to death. And Jesus heals this man's son, long distance. In chapter 5, Jesus is in Jerusalem, and he's at the pool by the sheep gate called Bethsaida. And there was a man who had been invalid for 38 years. And Jesus heals him. He gets up immediately, takes his mat, and he walks. In John chapter 6, Jesus is in the wilderness teaching the crowds, and it comes to be dinner time. Or as we say down in the south near Atlanta where I live, supper time. With five loaves of bread and two fish, Jesus feeds 5,000 people. And we're told that there were 12 baskets of leftovers from the fragments of the bread. After this event in John 6, we're told that Jesus sends the crowds away and he sends his disciples away out in the boat to head on to Capernaum and he goes up to, on the mountain to spend some time alone with the Lord in prayer. In the middle of the night, he decides to join them in the boat and so he walks out on the water to be with them. They at first thought it was a ghost and they're terrified. But then they realize it was Jesus who was walking on the water and he gets in the boat with them. In John chapter 9, Jesus is again in Jerusalem and he encounters a man who was born blind. For all his life, he'd never been able to see with his eyes. And Jesus heals him. Sign after sign, work after work, Jesus did in front of these people and they would not believe. Are you the Christ? Tell us plainly. Look at verse 30. I and the Father are one. This is a very strong witness about who he is. Yet look at their reaction. Verse 31. The Jews pick up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? And Jesus answered them, It is not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. See, they heard what he was saying. They just didn't believe. I mean, a few verses back, a few words back in the conversation they'd asked are you the messiah he tells them and what do they want to do now they want to kill him for blasphemy it is not for a good work that we're going to stone you but for blasphemy because you being a man make yourself god when jesus says that he and the father are one they hear this as him saying he was god and that's what he meant When Jesus says, my father, referring to God, which he does two times in these verses, they hear it as equating himself with God, being God's son, being divine, which is what he meant. But they couldn't believe. They wanted to kill him. Jesus responds to them by quoting Psalm 82, verse 6, and then he applies it to his situation. Look at verse 34. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I said you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken. By the way, a little side note here. Here's Jesus saying, 
and the scripture cannot be broken. Do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you're blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? Notice another component in all of this. He says the Father consecrated him and sent him into the world. Jesus just didn't show up in the first century. He was set apart and sent by his Father. Jesus then summarizes all he's been saying to them, answering the question if he is the Messiah. Verse 37. If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Jesus reiterates not only is he and the Father one, but the Father is in him and he is in the Father. He has Messiah claims all over his words. So the first question, who is the Messiah? Jesus answers and demonstrates that he himself is the Messiah. The second question, who are his sheep? Who are his sheep? Verse 26. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. Verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. So who are his sheep? Those who believe in him. Those who do not believe are not his sheep. That's what verse 26 just told us. Jesus' sheep know him. Jesus' sheep hear his voice. Jesus gives his sheep eternal life. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. Jesus' sheep will not perish. It's a tie back here to John 3.16, which I understand you've already studied. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will what? Not perish, but have eternal life. In John chapter 5, verse 24, Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. What he's saying here is those who do not believe are over here and they're living in death, even though they're living but they're living in death and when you come to believe it's like a spiritual transaction takes place and you're no longer in death you're in life you've passed over and you do not come into judgment because the judgment falls on Jesus on the cross Jesus goes on to say here that then his sheep will never be snatched out of his or his father's hand no one can steal the sheep from his hand Jesus' sheep have relationship with him. They know him. Like a shepherd in the fields who voice, whose voice the sheep recognize, Jesus' sheep know him and hear his voice. 
Do you know that this is such a strong reality that when two shepherds or several shepherds' flocks meet and they gather together and all the sheep start mixing in together, maybe they stay together for an evening or whatever and have them all in one pen, when the shepherd speaks and calls his sheep, they know his voice and they come out from among the other sheep. That's how it's to be with us, with our relationship, that we know him and we know his voice. And it comes from faith in him and his work for us. So these are the two questions. Who is the Messiah and who are the sheep? This passage also occurs in two places. The first is at the temple in Jerusalem. Look at verse 22. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. And that's where all this discussion takes place. It was up on the Temple Mount, and the temple was there, and there was this beautiful colonnade all around it. And they would gather and have discussions there at the temple in Jerusalem. Now, what was rampant among the halls and the worship spaces of the religious unbelief unresolved doubt murderous thoughts that's what we just heard unbelief unresolved doubt and murderous thoughts but then there's another place in this text and it's down in verse 40 it's on the other side of the Jordan River out in the desert look at verse 40 he went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first. And there he remained. And many came to him and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. Now, I just had a flashback uh, when sitting here a few minutes ago hearing the text read. A few weeks ago, some of us were in Israel and we were actually at this place. We did some baptisms there in the Jordan, right, right at this place. But here's what I just realized. The text in Jerusalem, it says he was up there and it's winter. Well, he goes down to where this is in the Jordan. Well, the, the, the climate is such there. You just go over the Mount of Olives and you're in the desert. And where he would have been would have been warm and nice. And So he was a smart dude. I mean, he, <laughs> it was cold up in Jerusalem in wintertime, but he goes to the desert where it's warm. But anyway, all that being said, here he is away from the religious establishment and faith blossomed. We're told many believed Many came to faith. Last this, lastly, this morning, I believe there are at least two applications from this passage. The first is this. Is the place of worship a place of faith? Is the place of worship a place of faith? Does what we do in our church and our time together build and deepen faith, or does it cause unresolved doubt? And unbelief. I'm not sure how it is in Vancouver, here in Vancouver, but in the southern United States, it's filled with people who were once active in their churches. But the church became a place of unbelief. Maybe it's not what was taught, or maybe it was not what was, let me say that again, maybe it was what was taught, or maybe it was what was not taught that caused that. 
Maybe it was the behavior of some of the leaders and, and other members in the church. They treated people badly and wrongly and unchristian. Or maybe it was the lack of worship in the worship services. That people just came and went through the ritual. And went through the ritual and... But these people said to themselves, if this is what faith is all about, I don't want to have anything to do with it. And so they're out in the desert, in their homes or wherever, worshiping God on their own, listening to teaching on the radio, the television or the internet, and not engaged in service or ministry for the Lord. They become self-centered, self-serving Christians, if that's what you'd call that. Because the church was not a place of faith, and it pushed him away. So a question for you, is this place of worship a place of faith and belief? Secondly, does your spiritual journey, and I'm speaking personally here, does your spiritual journey exhibit characteristics of one of his sheep? Does your spiritual journey exhibit characteristics of one of his sheep? Do you know him? Do you hear his voice? Do you follow where he leads you? In John chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus is praying in the high priestly prayer, and he says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. That's what eternal life is, the ability to know him. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 22, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, many will come to me on that day, meaning judgment day or the day we go to be with the Lord. Many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, and they list religious things. Did we not cast out demons in your name and in your name perform many miracles? All these religious kind of things. And he says, depart from me, for I never knew you. In Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is writing this litany of all these great things he's done in his life and who he is or was as a person. And he says, I count all of that as garbage or as rubbish compared to the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ as Lord. Do you know him? Do you recognize and hear his voice? And when you hear his voice, are you following where he leads you? We have too many people in churches across the United States and across Canada who are living in unbelief and unanswered doubt. Not faith and assurance they're, they're one of his sheep. They get up mon- morning by morning wondering, am I going to make it? And am I going to get in? Am I good enough? And they miss what the gospel teaches. That it's not by our works, but it's by our faith and, and belief in him that makes us one of his children. It's through that relationship that we know him and have a personal relationship with the God of the universe. This passage is an incredible passage on who Jesus is and also what our response to him might be. And so I wonder if I speak to someone this morning that you do not know him. Yes, you've heard a lot about him. Yes, you've read your Bible maybe or been very religious, but you don't have that relationship with him. Well, the gospel is very clear. We come to him in faith. We come to him in belief, 
trusting him for the forgiveness of our sins and for the promise of eternal life. If that describes you this morning, before you leave, I want to invite you to pray and just submit yourself to him and say, Lord, I really want to know you. Come into my life. Lord, I really desire that my sins be forgiven. Forgive me and help me to repent. I pray that God will help us all to know him, to hear his voice, and then to follow wherever he leads. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are so grateful for what you have done for us in Jesus Christ, for sending him to die upon the cross for our sins, for raising him again to new life that we might have eternal life, And Father, thank you for the privilege of being able to have relationship with you through him. And I pray for each person here that you will give us the capacity to yield ourselves to you, surrender our will to you, and allow you to come into our lives and lead us where you lead. Come, Holy Spirit, and touch your people. And it's in the name of Jesus and for his glory we pray. Amen.